0: Welcome to WVU Marketing Horizons, hosted by Ruth Stevens and Cindy Greenboss. We are grateful to WVU, who offers renowned online master's degree programs in marketing communications, and this series is presented by the Reed College of Media as part of their ongoing marketing series. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Cindy, I'm so happy to have the chance to introduce you to David Meerman Scott. I've been a colleague and fan of his for many years now. And you may know that he's a best-selling author with more than a million copies of his 12 books sold in just about 50 languages. And I actually reconnected with David around the beginning of the pandemic because I came across a really terrific video he had developed explaining to us that the way we were going at virtual events you know this is the beginning of the pandemic was all wrong and instead of trying to recreate what we do in person events and kind of bring it to the 2d world we should reimagine in fact he said the best virtual events reimagine what's possible rather than recreate what's familiar
0: brilliant
1: i loved it so I've invited him here to join us to talk about where virtual events are going over the horizon. So let's welcome him.
2: Thanks Ruth, so so good to be here. I'm really happy to have this discussion because it's important.
0: Thanks for joining us. I just can't wait to jump in. Um, I'm going to ask you just to kick us off. You know, we've been doing virtual events and hybrid events now for um, you know two years with the pandemic, and we have learned a lot, but um, give us a scorecard. How do you think we're doing as, as marketers?
2: Um, there are pockets of awesomeness, but for the most part, a C-minus.
0: Oh, wow. Oh, why do you say that?
2: Because I think what what people did in the beginning of the pandemic uh, in sort of March, April 2020 is they said, oh my gosh, our event was canceled in person. We can't meet together. Let's do it on Zoom or another platform, whatever platform it is. Let's do it instead um, a virtual way. And they said, okay, well, this is what we need to do. We need to do it just like, and they don't necessarily use these words, but just like the way that we were planning on doing it in person and just stuff that into a a zoom room or stuff that into another platform that doesn't work. And you know, it, it, I go back sort of 25 years and look at when event when, when other things have moved from the offline world to the online world, the same thing happened, is people looked at the wrong metaphor. So uh, when when the web came around and newspapers started to be on the web, um, newspaper people looked at, oh, okay, well, we understand newspaper business. Um, I happened to work at Knight Ritter in, um, from 1980. Nine to 1995, um, the second largest newspaper company in the United States at the time. I ran Asia marketing for them. And Knight Raider completely missed um, the web. I, I left in 95 when it started the web. So, uh, but completely missed it. They don't exist anymore. Um, newspapers cannot use the same metaphor. They had to reimagine, yet Craigslist, you know, emerged in an unbelievable way. The same thing happened with advertising. So advertising people said, oh, we understand advertising. We know what that is. Um, and they focused on putting banner ads on websites. And banner ads on websites are not how people advertise on the web. They advertise using Google AdWords. They advertise on social networks like Instagram in very different ways. So in the early days of of the um, of the web re- revolution, advertisers completely missed it. Mm. Um, and the same thing's happening with virtual events is if you take what you already know in an offline world and try to apply it, it does not work. You have to look at what's possible and change accordingly.
1: So what should we be doing or how do you advise clients to get more value out of virtual
2: events? So I did a a virtual event, had about a hundred people on from one company, happened to be a company called Skillsoft. um, And I had all their marketers on um, with me for, uh, we had a three hour session. And what we ended up doing was two roughly one and a half hour sessions with a break in the middle. And so uh, it doesn't really matter which platform it was hosted on, but it happened to be on Webex. And Webex and Zoom and some of the other platforms have what's required to do the different elements that I had. So the first thing out of my mouth, before I said good morning, was put into chat what you're a fan of. Um, Cause my, pr- my presentation was partly on my book, Fanocracy that came out uh, in 2020. Um, that one's a Wall Street Journal bestseller. It's about how to grow fans of a business. So the first thing out of my mouth was was ask them to go into the chat feature and enter something. So within 10 seconds of the event starting, it's interactive because people are able to see what each other is a fan of. And then, so so using the chat feature in, in in an appropriate way is something that very few people do well. And I'm not saying I do it well, but, but this is just how I did this event yesterday. Uh, then um, within the first 10 minutes, I believe it was, I had the first polling question. Now, not all virtual platforms have the ability to do polling, but I think most of them do these days. So it's a, it's a different way of getting interaction, but it's a way that we can learn what everybody else is thinking is kind of anonymous because you don't know who answered how, but I asked them a question and um, the answers were like, sometimes always never occasionally that kind of question quite soon after that, we did a breakout group. And mm-hmm. so uh, I asked people, Webex and Zoom both have this feature. Many of the other platforms have this feature where you can um, break people into smaller groups for a short period of time. So I had them break into groups of, I believe it was five people for six minutes for them to discuss one of the concepts that I had just uh, talked about in in my presentation. Um, And then I did something that is very unusual. I almost never see it in a virtual event. I had a guest. I had a surprise guest, unannounced, unannounced surprise guest. Um, So my presentation was about fandom Mm -hmm. and how to grow fans of a business. And one of my favorite examples of somebody who's built fandom uh, is someone named Jesse Cole. Jesse Cole is the owner of the Savannah Bananas baseball team. And when he bought the Savannah bananas, it had no fans. I mean, there's nobody went to the games. It was a disaster. And he's built that team up to be um, an an absolute juggernaut in the world of baseball. Um, They've had 160 games sell out. Every single game for 160 games has been a sellout. They, um, uh, They have the largest following on TikTok of any professional baseball team, including all the major league baseball teams. Wow, um, and um, uh, ESPN um, said that they're the most uh, fun baseball team. Anyway, anyway, um, I was talking about Jesse and sharing his um, his story to people, and I used video and and I, I, I shared in his TikTok feed and whatnot. Um, And then as I was wrapping and and Jesse, of course, was in on the gag. But as I was wrapping up my presentation uh, of that part of the presentation, I said, gosh, Jesse is just so good at this idea of growing fans. And you guys can do the same thing. It's all about creating something that's interesting. And then Jesse popped in Uh and he goes, David, David, David. Hey, I just wanted to pop in here for a second. I go. Jesse, what are you doing here? Oh my gosh, how crazy! Did you like just bust into this meeting? And of course, <laughs> of course, everybody knew it was a gag.
1: Yeah,
2: but it, but it was a fun gag. And oh, um, so Je- Jesse, I, I interviewed Jesse for it was like five minutes, no more than five minutes. I asked him like three questions. Um, I use music in my hmm. um, in my virtual presentations, and um, I use video in my virtual presentations. So I did. Um, 550 five minutes um but every like 7 minutes there was something that broke it up um and then we did some Q&A for you know it was like 10 minutes and then there was a break and then we came back into the same thing um wow. I, although, although I only had one um surprise guest um I've done some where I had a surprise musical guest that was, that was super fun. You know, it's like, Hey, you know, we're going to take a a short five minute break here. You can stretch use a restroom, but um, we've got a a live band standing by in New York city. Who's going to entertain us for the next few minutes. Um, And so these are just some of the elements there's others, but these are just some of the elements of what, what can make a virtual event. Great. You know, what doesn't work is, is somebody just, delivering a boring PowerPoint for an hour. It does mm. not work.
0: <laughs> That's for
2: right. Sure.
1: Yeah. <laughs> These are great, great ideas. And I'm, I would just love, I, I can't wait for our listeners to, to get inspired by this and any, any tips about how maybe new features that are going to come down the pike or ideas that you've been playing with but haven't actually tried yet for the future of virtual events?
2: Yeah. I mean, first of all, I want to say something that's not necessarily a new feature, uh, mm-hmm. but then, but then I, will, I will talk a little bit about a new feature. So um, what, um, what I've done since the very beginning of the pandemic with my slides, because I do use slides in my presentation, is very, very different from what everybody else does. So most virtual event platforms, as you no doubt know, have an ability to do what's called share screen. Yes. And with share screen, you can share your slides or you can share a video or you can do something like that. That is a horrible thing to do. (laughs) Don't do it. Why? Because when you share your screen, you, the presenter, become a postage stamp in the corner. Mm. Right. And people get bored to tears
1: Mm.
2: seeing a PowerPoint presentation that just drones on with you in the corner. So the way that I solve that problem is I built a home studio. I'm not suggesting that everyone needs that. But one of the keys to it is one of the camera angles. And oh, and by the way, before I built the studio, when the pandemic first hit, um, I was able to make something using just one camera that recreated this idea is to have a secondary computer with a secondary monitor showing the slides over my shoulder.
1: I've seen that in the video that I was recommending earlier. Yeah, it turns out great.
2: So, So... what, what you end, so imagine the difference between the default, which 99% of presenters use, of using the shared screen function within the virtual event platform, where your slides are like the size of, a, of an IMAX screen, a movie theater screen, <laughs> and you're the size of a postage stamp, <laughs> um, compare, right. compared to a video feed of you in a room somewhere presenting with a monitor over your shoulder that has the slides on them. Now, what right. I ended up, what I ended up doing when I upgraded, so I originally had just one camera that was doing that, but then I upgraded with now I have four cameras. So what I'm able to do is switch between four camera angles. The first camera angle is kind of a reasonably close up shot where. Um, I'm looking directly at the camera. I use that for when I want to make an important point or I use that for Q&A or like if I, when I'm interviewing somebody and it's just me, there's no other screen involved. Then I've got the shot I just shared with you where um, you can see more of my body. It's like from my waist up. And then to my right is a large, it's probably like a 40 inch or 50 inch television screen that I've I I use a second you need two computers to do this I use a secondary computer to drive my slides uh, and of course I have a clicker to drive my slides in that secondary computer um, my third camera angle is a super wide fisheye um, camera that's mounted in the corner of the studio and I use that maybe only once or twice where I just show what my studio looks like Um, and -hmm. then the fourth the fourth camera is is 100% 100% the slide. And 100%. I only use that one typically when I'm showing a video.
0: Right. <laughs> one, you know, always the one who's looking at the data and trying to do measurement and metrics. And 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 this is fabulous insights. Um, David, we're, we're thrilled to get some great tips for Um, our producers and those that are putting on shows, you know, um, maybe the answer to this has been in in the past, Um, you know, we haven't been doing it right. We have to change the metaphor, but so many of us that have participated in virtual or hybrid events have been um, uh, deeply dissatisfied with the results. You know, you, yeah. you, you look at any of the surveys or you talk to your peers and they say, A, I didn't get anything out of it. B, I didn't get, quote, any leads, which we've all been accustomed to looking for, for paying mm-hmm. it off. Or C, I have no way to get any um, KPIs out of this to, to say, you know, I, I want to continue to do it. So are we going about it wrong or, or um, is my assumption incorrect? Um, well,
2: I think we need to look at all different types of metrics, you know, and, and what's the goal of that virtual event, you know, Mm -hmm. is the goal, if the goal of the virtual event is, is to generate sales leads, you know, we need to think about maybe not doing the normal approach to sales leads. Um, you know, the normal approach to sales leads is some kind of coercion technique where, Um, this is a classic example of a B2B business um, coercion technique. They say, oh, get our free white paper. Um, Click here, it's totally free. Well, it's not totally free because you have to give your personal information to get it. Um, And so that is a very different approach to generating sales leads than putting on a terrific virtual event where you don't ask anyone to become a sales lead but then they subscribe to your email newsletter, they, they follow you on social media. And eventually, they um, learn more about you and want to do business with you. Um, when I did my presentation, I described yesterday, as I was finishing up the presentation and, and segueing into the q&a section, the chat lit up. Thank you, David. Oh, my God, that was so great. That was like, I can't believe it's already over. Three hours went like lightning. You know, people were just saying that it that it was totally worth their time. And I think that's because many of the people who were there were kind of, oh, my God, three hours on, mm, right. on, on WebEx. I mean, torture, torture. <laughs> um, but it was but it was utterly different. Um, so um, I'm not sure we want to use the same metrics that we've used in the past, you know, One metric I love is how many people leave. Mm, uh Uh-huh. So, and I personally pay very, very close attention to that metric. And I sometimes, I can't always see it when I'm presenting, but if I can, I actually glance at it every now and then. So if um, 268 people are on when the event starts, I want to know how many people are on the event at the end. And I want mm. it to be 268 or more.
0: Right.
1: Um, if,
2: it's, if it's fewer, it meant people dropped off. Yeah. And, so
1: the-
2: and that says a lot. And I've been on virtual events where there's 264 people who are on in the beginning and eight at the end. Getting back a little bit to how to put one on that's great. I like to look at a... Um, a tele- I, I believe this is a television metaphor more than it is a, a, an in-person event metaphor, and I think of two different types of television shows that are worth considering as you're thinking about putting on a virtual event. One is a um, a television, you know, so-called talk show like um, like Ellen DeGeneres' show or Oprah Oprah show kind of thing, where. Um, where you've got studio audience, partly studio audience, and you've got people who are watching on video. And so you think of all the elements that are going in. Can you recreate some of those? The other is a a, uh, a television news program, especially the sort of morning news program like the Today Show or Good Mm. Morning America. So the Today Show or Good Morning America will have – um part of it will be the hard news they're sitting at a desk reading what's going on in the news. Then there's an interview section. Um then there might be the weather where somebody's outside in a remote camera. Um then there might be um you know a pre-recorded session that was done um you know the the night before at the baseball game or whatever it is. Um can you build a virtual event that's like that? Mm. Um and that's what I do that's what my presentations are, you know. There's some video, some recorded elements that have been recorded in the past. There's the the interview. There's the um, the here's the what's going on right now. And I think I think those are those are better ways to consider how to do a virtual event than to think what do I do Ooh. in an in-person event and try to recreate it.
1: Do Do you have a way for attendees to get acquainted among themselves, among meet each other?
2: Um, so yeah. I, I mentioned it earlier, but I love the idea of a breakout room.
1: Oh, okay. Right.
2: And so, um, I, I would encourage you to you people to use a breakout room, sort of six minutes per half hour, if you can. Yeah. Um, you know, if you, if you have a one hour presentation, can you do two breakout rooms? That's going to be one quarter of your presentation. Yeah. Um, and then four or five people is a good number. Yep. in each breakout room. And inevitably, then you're having people who, uh, and you want to do it in a way that it's either random or the, the people who come together, either random, or whatever. And, um, and then that's a really nice way to get people interacting. Um, you can also encourage uh, social media back channel, um, you know, develop, um, for example, a Facebook group that can be the back channel to the, to the main conference. Some virtual event platforms have the ability to create a back channel, right? Um, but sometimes it's better to do that completely off the virtual event platform and on a social network.
0: Great. So I know David, we're going to be coming up on our last uh, couple of minutes here. And um, we have all been experimenting with virtual. You're giving us great ideas for how to make them better. Um, we go back to in person, and everybody's thrilled to be back in person and seeing each other. Are virtual uh, events going to go away?
2: Uh, I don't think virtual events are going to go away because um, you know many of the events I speak at are um, either are global events. I also see a an interesting hybrid I, uh, model coming forward. You know, sort of a hybrid event where I'm actually been invited to do one in um, a couple months where there will be about 800 people in a studio audience. I call it a studio audience because um, the, um, uh, the place that they're doing it is very much geared towards a virtual event with there's like 20 cameras. It's super amazing. Um, it's for Tony Robbins. I've spoken for Tony Robbins now for eight years. Wow. And, and so what Tony's planning on doing, and he has already done for other programs other than the ones that I work on, is, um, is have a studio audience, um, but the studio audience is essentially um, a, a, a group of people who are um, watching the virtual event being, being uh, created. Um, and I think the key will be for hybrid events is not to film an in-person event and broadcast it because that's been done for a long time. Uh, That's been done for 20 years, you know, filming an in-person event and then broadcasting. I think what it requires is to optimize both the virtual component and the in-person component. I'll give you one example of that. You could do two sets of Q&A. You could do the Q&A for the virtual audience. And then you could say the virtual audience, okay, virtual audience, we're going to take a half hour break, uh, come back here in 30 minutes, you know, flip off the cameras and then the speaker could do um, a, a, an in-person Q&A with a studio audience. So you're doing two very separate Q's and A's, um, but one optimized for virtual, one optimized for in-person.
1: Great ideas. Thank you so much, David. This has really been enlightening.
2: Oh, my pleasure. Good to be on.
1: Great. Great to have you.
0: Great having you. Thanks, David. Of course. Thank you.
1: Well, Cindy, wasn't that... Amazing. What a high energy and well-informed guest we've had with David. And I i was really taken, I think this is one of the first conclusions that, that I would propose, with his idea that we tend as marketers or business people to pick the wrong metaphors when a new technology comes along. <laughs> and he mentioned the mistake that newspapers made when migrating to the internet. They used their newspaper model and, and it just didn't work. And the same with advertisers limiting their thinking to banners, which haven't worked well at all. And and in virtual events, he said, yeah, we should be thinking more like the Today Show or the morning news when we're designing our, our virtual events. I thought that was The wrong metaphor, um, conundrum, or mistake that we've all made would be one of our big
0: takeaways. Well, I guess I was um, surprised when he said he'd give them a C part, I was partly surprised when he said, well, I give him C a C minus <laughs> C minus at that, you know, that's a very poor student indeed, not even a B aiming for an A. So, um, right. you know, we got a lot of work to do in this area. And, and, and it did remind me when he said, we're stuffing at the analog mindset into the digital world. And, and we've seen this in other areas, Ruth, with our conversations oh. around um, the retail experience, the consumer experience, where you know we've heard our guests say you can't just digitize an analog experience and think that you've got this you know you've done it and that's what he said to us right that we're taking the old school model and then just stuffing it into the zoom or the or the webex platform you got to completely reimagine it i think that that was a, a, a real aha i loved the today show analogy Um, I I, and of course, you know, he mentioned uh, Good Morning America, but just the idea of the blending of very different formats, even into short synopsis periods Mm. of time. What did you think of of that
1: variety? I I would say that's part of our, our second. Piggy, I think, our our second big takeaway that he recommended, and boy, didn't he give us a lot of great tactical ideas? Yes, He recommended a lot of variety, um, a lot of short bits that break things up with, you know, polls and breakout rooms and chat and uh, surprise guests and so forth, and that we force the interactivity to engage audiences. I, I had actually learned this in my business school teaching, Cindy, where in a faculty meeting, someone mentioned that if you don't force the attendees in your virtual class to take some kind of action in the mm-hmm. first 30 seconds, your retention rate will decline dramatically. So all the professors are kind of coming up with artificial, you know, techniques for getting them to write in the chat or to uh, take some kind of response or some kind of action early because the data shows that they stay longer. They stay right. longer. I mean,
0: even in our WVU online Program. um, The very first thing the students do when they enter is introduce themselves, tell you know, your fellow students, something about yourself, post a video, a picture, your dog, whatever, even though many of these students could have interacted with each other in previous classes. Um, And so you could be in a virtual conference and you know, many of the people, what if this virtual um, meeting or conference are individuals that you work with? Um, Mm. There's still an opportunity to do interesting things. And um, I love the surprise and delight, the the gag, on the music the surprise guest and just shake it up a bit we think we have to have it so well planned and so well oiled and that you know i guess i would have been afraid to do that what if you screw up what if it doesn't come off very well but wow i'm going to i'm going to definitely make note of that one and that
1: brings up maybe our third little piggy takeaway in that we need to be thinking differently about the metrics by which we judge the success of our events, our virtual events, and and hitting people over the head to capture sales leads, he was arguing is a mistake that he would rather we measure the results of virtual events by other means, like signups for our email newsletter or follows on social media, um, I'm still a little worried about that. I'm sure you may be too cuz we've got to be able to demonstrate some tangible results and hm what what did you well, think Cindy?
0: So it, you know in our putting bet my B2B hat on for um uh, in-person events the cost of conferences and in-person events is extremely high. As you know, Ruth, you're the expert in this area, not just to um, put them on, to sponsor them if you are a a company that's using it, um, to go to the event, the cost of the travel, the entertainment and all the rest of it. So to not have KPIs and metrics that you can come back to and say this was an investment that had a break-even or a long tail payoff, um, it is a pretty hard sell when you go to ask for that budget the next year. And of course, our biggest advocates for in-person conferences has been the sales team. So, you know, we've been doing using conferences as sales support. So lead generation is a big part of uh, why we use conferences. So if virtual events have a better place in a different part of the funnel, or if they should be better used in engagement or in other areas and not in the sales funnel process, then maybe we have to think about it differently so that we're like, oh, okay. But then the economics have to be very different because I'd be hard pressed to walk in and ask the CFO for a hundred thousand dollar investment for a conference and and not be able to have tied to it economic output. Um, So I I, I think it's a double-edged sword there, Ruth. And and I Mm. think attribution as we're always wrestling with is an area where, you know, we don't live in a single attribution world. And we have talked about this with other guests and with ourselves to say, maybe this is still an area that we need to, to, you know, evolve. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. I could see some of those indirect attribution tools coming in handy here, like data matchback, for example, where Mm. you look at the sales in the following 18 months, and you look at the people who attended the event and the sales into their accounts versus people who didn't attend the event and the sales into their accounts and do uh, uh, take some kind of inferential um, metric about the, the events having been an assist in that improvement in sales. Th- those kinds of techniques have been used by Uh, B2B marketers for years as Mm -hmm. a way to kind of um, get some kind of benefit from difficult to attribute marketing efforts.
0: Yeah, link it to your ABM, right? So maybe you're looking at, you know, uh, deep and wide, you know, did you further penetrate more widely into your key accounts, right? Did Did you get new contacts into those. Um,
1: right, exactly. More more data, more uh, a broader reach into the account. But you know, overall, Cindy, I, I was really charged up by today's conversation with David, because it filled me with hope that the virtual event category can actually be really creative, really exciting, and not just the drone on webinary type of of approaches we've been taking heretofore. And, you know, marketers love thinking creatively about how to engage audiences. We we have a great
0: opportunity to do better. Absolutely. So let's summarize our three piggies um, on how to make your virtual event do better in the future. What would you say is number one?
1: Great. So The first one would be that we need to rethink the metaphor that we're using to enter a new environment and be successful.
0: You got it. And I think the second one then is variety is the slice of life. Introduce all kinds of variety into your virtual event and don't be afraid to experiment.
1: Yeah. And then, as as a a third one, we can um, consider different metrics come up with better attribution models. Um, But I think we all agree that we can't just rely on the kinds of metrics that David actually recommended in a B2B environment anyway. It could be that in consumer worlds, that would, would be welcome and
0: appropriate. That's great, Ruth. This has been very enlightening and really in- informative. And thanks for bringing David Mirman Scott to our podcast. Thanks, Cindy. Bye-bye. You've been listening to WVU Marketing Horizons, hosted by Ruth Stevens and Cindy Greenglass. Please be sure to visit go.wvu.edu mc today to view our upcoming conversations, listen to previous discussions, and subscribe to receive updates.